Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're getting close, I think, to maybe wrapping up this um, series on the Bible. I think there are some things that are starting to press in that I'd like to endeavor. So uh, this is maybe walking us toward a conclusion on the matter as it comes to the Bible, but we're going to talk about uh, typology again today and continue the conversation around Passover that we had. Um, The last time we were together in the series on the Bible, we were talking through uh, Passover from what is going on in the Exodus 12 narrative, and now we're moving forward into the New Testament. So this is the Passover typology, but moving into the New Testament texts, and looking at how the Passover material is picked up. A lot of this work, um, for me, really began in earnest during the course of my doctorate. This was the uh, primary case study and exegetical space that I operated in when I was working on a model for uh, the kind of analysis I want my students to do and the kind of analysis that I was trying to teach them how to do. Uh, And so... We're going to look at a lot of the material here that um, is is the New Testament picking up these other things. And so we've discussed the basics of the Passover narrative from the Exodus account. We oriented ourselves around a lot of what's going on in the original context for the Passover and for the Lamb. Um, We looked at God's judgment and how it's delivered in the tenth and final plague and God's specific vocabulary on bringing that judgment on all the gods of Egypt. That would include Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptian pantheon. But we also saw that Israel is spared if they believed in the instructions through Moses and they followed God's prescription of a substitute lamb whose blood is placed on the doorposts and lentils of their homes. So they have to believe the instructions from God through Moses, and they have to follow the prescription in those instructions and actually do what the instructions say for them to be delivered from the plague. And lo and behold, they are. Our New Testament texts pick up on the imagery and the deliverance of what's going on in Exodus 12 and at Passover as we talk about Jesus Christ. And that is what I want to pick up today. So, Um, First, most of this material, if not all of this material, is going to come centered in and around the Gospel of John and John's sort of theological bend, uh, because that's more my expertise than anything else. And so it's the natural place that I'm going to go and have a look at certain things. So, uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist exclaims to the crowds and to the people standing with him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes up or the Lamb of God taking up, taking up or taking away the sin of the world. Joanne Brandt argues that John the Baptist's statement here suggests, in her words, an understanding of sin that's more ontological than psychological. Jesus doesn't remove guilt, she says. The sin of the world is failure, corruption, it's the degradation, it's a dying, decaying kind of thing. Jesus Jesus takes away, takes up, takes from us death and brings life. I think in doing that, he deals with the guilt that comes with that death, that failure, that corruption, that degradation. 
Our gospel author in John's text, John, the gospel author, uses this direct speech of John the Baptist to direct the attention of the reader and of the characters in the narrative to Jesus. And so we should pay attention to the person of Jesus Christ, who, as John has told us, is the Lamb of God. And he says it twice in chapter 1. So, this identification of Jesus and the Lamb is incredibly important to us and has automatic sort of Passover implications. Paul Rainbow highlights the gospel's employment of Jewish festivals throughout the Gospel of John as a means of directing our attention to Jesus Christ and his claims and actions as being rooted in the context of the feasts that exist from the First Testament, especially the Passover feast. Rainbow notes this. He says, To set forth the full significance of Jesus, the fourth gospel, John, draws upon the meanings of several Jewish festivals, Passover, Tabernacles, Hanukkah. From a historical perspective, everyday Jewish piety in the first century AD was the germinal ground. These feasts and festivals are the seed ground, and the perspective of piety around those festivals is the seed ground, through which the theology of Jesus as the Christ, God the Son, God in the flesh, the Logos, incarnate, can be developed. Jesus in the Johannine tradition is presented against the background of these feasts and festivals. As a function of the literature in the gospel, these religious feasts and Christ's actions and words during those feasts give us insight into the claim the gospel is making about him. Specifically, this, Passover commemorated God's sparing of his people in Egypt by having them put the lamb's blood on their lintels. That um, act sort of warded off the destroying angel or the destroyer or the plague in Exodus 12. We can look specifically at Exodus 12.23 here. That warding off points toward Jesus' role as a kind of expiatory lamb by the virtue of his death. John 129 and 36, 1150, 1155, 1936, especially in light of Exodus 12, 46, and what's going on with the lamb. So then the judgment poured out on the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the Pantheon specifically will befall the Israelites if they don't engage in the practice of Passover as prescribed by the Lord. Their faith in God's deliverance and their obedience to his prescription of Passover secures the life of their firstborn children through the death and the shed blood of that Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb. But central to feasts and festivals in the religion of ancient Israel and in first century Judaism is the lamb, and especially the sacrificial rites surrounding the lamb, including that of Passover. The feasts and festivals were holy occasions in which Israel remembered some act of God on their behalf, in this case, the deliverance act at Passover that comes with his judgment on Egypt. In Leviticus 19.2, God commands Israel, you will be holy as I am holy. This holiness is supposed to be a way in which Israel lives as God's people because he plans to dwell among them. 
Instructions regarding purity in Leviticus are focused on the tabernacle, the space where God dwells with his people. This is why Israel needs sacrifice, because God will dwell with them, among them, in their midst. There's a whole host of reasons and prescriptions for sacrifices in Israelite religion and in first century Jewish uh, religious contexts, but, but sacrifice was one of the means, was perhaps the primary means by which the Israelites entered Yahweh's presence, lived with him, and brought their flesh and blood existence and concerns into the context of what is sacred and holy. Frank Gorman understands sacrifice as a manner through which Israel could maintain its relationship with God. To dwell with, to live together. The sacrificial rite of the First Testament and those practices around sacrifice address a range of concerns associated with this relationship between Israel and Yahweh. What's common to all of that concern that brought about sacrifice is the relationship Israel has with God. What makes that relationship with God in his promised land, according to his laws and his ways, even possible is the deliverance of Israel from Egypt through the plagues that culminate with Passover. If Pharaoh in the plagues is to learn that the Lord, Yahweh, was God alone, then the Israelites are to learn that he is their God and they are his people, his firstborn son, as he tells Moses. The relationship with God and his dwelling in their midst is only possible because of this deliverance of Israel from Egypt, which culminates and comes to fruition with the Passover lamb. For Israel, then, Passover is God's deliverance for his people from that which oppresses them to be his holy people living in covenant with him. So then when Jesus comes along in John 6, 53, and he says, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. Leviticus seventeen eleven sort of rings in our ears. The life of the flesh is in its blood and I have given it to you for atonement for your lives on the altar. Life is in the blood, and it's the blood that makes atonement. Many of our Christian traditions see a kind of Eucharistic language usage in John 6, 53 through 59, foreshadowing the atonement that Christ will make on the cross and the establishment of the Lord's Supper and Communion, specifically coming to a head in John chapter 19, when blood and water flow from the side of Christ. The blood of Christ gives life to those who partake of it. Because in the narrative of the gospel, of John especially, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Rainbow will clarify. He says, though lamb, like logos, a 
appears only at the head of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. Its placement there is programmatic. The evangelist wants us to read the entire book as the story of the Logos become flesh, who laid down his life as God's lamb. Christ the Lamb features in each festival encounter in John's Gospel because the Lamb is an essential part of this atonement or purification or participation in the events of the temple during that particular feast. Passover is no exception to that and is perhaps the highlight of it in John's Gospel. So the issue around the blood of the Lamb that is shed and that provides deliverance from God's judgment becomes poignantly clear in John 19. In addition to that blood that is shed, the timing of the crucifixion aligns with the sacrifice of the Passover lambs. Here, Brandt gives us another piece here. She's building on somebody else's recognition of temple imagery and timing in John 19, but she says that Jesus dies at the same time as blood from the Passover lamb flows from the temple. So in John's gospel, while the sacrifice of the Passover lambs is happening on the day of preparation for Passover, it's in John 18, it's in John 19 multiple times, Jesus is dying on the cross. And so John has backgrounded for us the death of Passover lambs in the temple, while the Lamb of God, John 129 and 136, is dying on the cross. But even more than that, there's water and blood that flow from the side of Jesus. And it brings to memory the Passover event with the Israelites. First, their deliverance from Egypt, and then they're passing through the waters of the Red Sea in their departure and escape from Egypt and Pharaoh as he pursued them. The pursuit of Israel leads all parties to the water of the Red Sea, where God parts the waters, allowing Israel to pass through them. However, Pharaoh and his army drive into the parted waters, chasing Israel, only to have those waters pour in on top of them. And so God's judgment and deliverance in the death of the firstborn, with Israel delivered by the Lamb's blood, culminates in the waters of the Red Sea as Pharaoh and his army are drowned, but Israel is set free, perhaps in a kind of final sort of way. We can look at Exodus 14 for the Red Sea crossing narrative. Why would John highlight the significance of the blood and the water from the side of Christ in the crucifixion, time it to the same timing as the death of the Passover lambs, and be so explicit about it in his gospel? Well, it seems that the judgment of God, fully completed in the life of Pharaoh, in the the shed blood of the lamb that delivers from the death of the firstborn, and the waters that kill the firstborn of Egypt in the Red Sea, has parallels to Jesus on the cross. The judgment of God not fully complete in Pharaoh finds its culmination in the waters of the Red Sea after the blood of the Lamb has set Israel free. The death of the firstborn passed over Israel because of the Lamb's blood, and then they passed through the waters, which brought judgment on Egypt. And so we're back in this space where God is bringing a judgment and provides a way out of that judgment. Flowing blood and water from the pierced side of the Lamb of God should remind us of the life that's paid for our judgment and our deliverance. So that we can be free 
children of God. Until next time.